day that could be seen as the start of World War Three, <laughs> you can find solace yeah. in losing yourself into a movie. Oh, I was going to say the fact that Boris has decided that COVID has just ended. Well, I was trying to be a little bit more <laughs> film-centric. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was doing. Because um, we were chatting about it today, we were like, there's only a couple of us who I work with who've got through what the government are classing as a pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Like the whole of the time the government's classing as being a pandemic uh, without catching it. And that's it, yeah. But as I say, it's a dark day. It could be a historical start of something. Let's hope it's not. Let's hope it all finishes and quashes itself before it really gets going. Yes. But hey, Hill, we might as well keep on with the podcast. So yep. yes, we are His Film, Her Movie. I'm Jordan. I'm Lauren. And we are the podcast that answers the question, to what lengths will one married couple go to to make the other watch some films that they love? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's the fifth episode in our heist season. It is, it is. Back to my choice, my final choice of the season. Yeah. And it was a tumultuous week. I was toing and froing about what to pick. Yeah. And there was a there was Widows there, Steve McQueen's movie. There was Le Circle Rouge. There was Bound. But I have decided, and we watched, 2016's Hell or High Water. I kind of love that you were like, Lauren, there's two films. There's either this one or there's this one with Chris Pine. And I was like, I'm going to go with Chris Pine. Yes. That's how that's how the film got picked this week. And we can get onto that later. <laughs> yes, yeah. But a little bit of housekeeping, we are a podcast of Pod Syndicate, so you can go over to wearepodsyndicate.com, check out all those other great shows, give, give them a follow, give them a listen. Yep. You can go to hisfilmhermovie.com, follow our socials, you can get Apple Podcasts on Spotify, all that lovely good stuff. And other than that, we do, I don't really have much more to add. Nothing else. Nothing else. It's been a good word all week. Good Well done. Well, after, after the... Hulk abomination the last Hulk abomination and the shake abomination. It's been shake. a good shake. As in As in S H A K yeah. Shaking like a shaking yes. a bottle. Okay. How did you not get that? Because there's two we we talked about this last week. Was there two ways of spelling it? Were no, just... there's too many things with S H A space and E. Oh yeah. Shape. Shake. Shade. Shade. So, yeah. I can't really think of those ones. It's been a good word all week, but we might as well get into the show. So before we do, but before we actually delve into Hello High Water, mm-hmm. let's talk about what we've, what's been keeping us entertained over these last seven days, mm-hmm. because we're doing pretty all right at getting these shows out every week, which is kind of amazing. You're going to jinx us. I know, but hey, it's worth mentioning. And <laughs> um, What's been keeping you entertained over these last seven days? Um. Well... I was doing a little TikTok perusal, and by that I means I went into a deep dark hole that lasted several hours. Yes. Um, <laughs> pretty standard, really. Um, and I saw somebody talking about films that they hadn't seen in a while. Yeah. And the one that came up was The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. The Terry Gilliam movie. It is, yeah. And I was like, I need to watch this again. So, um, for anybody who hasn't seen it, it is 
uh, Heath Ledger's like last film. He like he, died halfway through. It was his la- the last film that they, um, he yeah, was filming po- posthumously came out as well. Yeah. yeah. Um. So he kind of filmed all the real world pieces, and then when he goes through into Doctor Parnassus's mind, because it is a very strange. Mm. Film. It is a lot of like self enlightenment and going into somebody's mind and everything. It sounds very complicated, but it's still quite a fun. It's not like an Inception sort of level yeah, yeah, of com- yeah. like complicatedness because it's a bit. There's a playfulness. There's to a, it. Yeah, there is a really good playfulness to it. So when he goes into these other worlds, there is Jude Law, uh, Johnny Depp, um, Colin Farrell, Colin Farrell. I think those are those are the three actors who then play him. Play the character because you can be anybody in these other worlds. It's quite fun to see that his legacy. They 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 wanted to finish this film and they were able to do it, and Mm. it works very very well having uh, the three different actors play him, uh, play his character. Uh, So I watched. I remember when it first came out, and I really enjoyed it. And it was something that I think I made bought it on dvd and then it's i've just never really watched it again so it was really nice to go back to it i remember when it first came out and them all sort of saying this was his last film and everything and how they the uh like the other three actors had kind of done it as a bit of a labor of love because they wanted his last film to be completed and so it was really nice to sit down and Rewatch it. When I, I remember t- telling you though about it and going, oh yeah, and I just did a bit of a Google and found that it just didn't open in the US at all, but it did quite well in the UK and especially in France. It's a very British European sort of style of cinema. It's, yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember seeing this film when it came out. I cannot tell you a single thing about it now. The only th- the only image that I've got is of maybe Heath Ledger, it may be one of the other characters mm-hmm. playing that character of hanging by a rope underneath a bridge and Heath singing. Ledger. Heath Ledger. So yeah. That, that might have been his, his final it a, scene. It has, or... a, it has a baby Andrew Garfield. Yeah. Usually all covered in uh, silver paint, uh, playing like a Hermes-type character. Ah. And Lily Cole... Yeah, Lily Cole, the... Yeah, yeah, the, the model. The model. St. Trinian's fame. Of St. Trinian's fame. And, oh my God, I've completely forgotten what the gentleman's name is. Um, He died a few years ago. Vern Troyer. Vern Troyer, that's it. Yes, so he's in it. And it's kind of like, it, it, it's like a serious role for him mm. as well. Like, they make references to his height, but not really at the same time. And I like the fact that his ongoing joke is... Uh, when you say to Dr. Panassas, what would you do without me? And he, go, and he goes, I don't know. He goes, get a midget. And Dr. Panassas is like, what? He's like, you know, small fellow, slightly taller than me, looks like this. And he's just like, that is a really bad joke. And he's just like, Ugh, nobody gets me, basically. So, so Terry Gilliam's a very on and off director for me. Like some of his films really do slap. You've got 12 Monkeys, you've mm-hmm. got Brazil. Mm-hmm. And then some of them just fall flat. And I, I, I remember watching it. So I can't tell you, but I, I can't remember being massively impressed by it. But I would love to actually give it a little rewatch. Yeah, and just see how his mind plays about, especially with that, and especially 
taken out the years of without Heath Ledger and not seeing it as this big event movie mm-hmm. if it's been his last mm-hmm. movie and the way that came along with that. I've just seen it in its own. I also don't feel that, like, I don't feel like the, the special effects and things in it age. It's a lot of very like, practical. practical special effects. There are obviously bits where you're like, that's obviously CGI. But I remember watching it back then and going, that's obviously CGI because it's in, like, a mind mm. world. Oh, and Paloma Faith's in it as well. God, St. Trinian's alumni. St. Trinian's reunion <laughs> in there. So, yeah, I just remember Paloma Faith's in it with dark hair. Mm. Anything else that's been keeping you out of your Uh We've been watching Pam and Tommy. We continued through that. I think we've watched two more episodes. I thought it was episode six, which was yeah. on Wednesday. Um, we have also got back into season two of um, Space Force. We are watching a lot of TV at the moment. Space Force was, again, it's been a long time since season one because yeah. COVID has taken its time and and meant that things didn't come back a year later, but two years. And yet, I enjoyed the first season of Space Force. It's yeah. silly, it's completely throwaway and lightweight, yeah. and yeah, it's it's just a good time. It's like, for, for 27 minutes, you can have a few laughs, and that's all you're going to get. And then apart from that, uh, we watched the was it just the first episode of uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Of season four. Season four, which we've yeah. always really enjoyed. I've always enjoyed that show. It's, again, it's it's funny, but in a very sarcastic way. It's a different comedy from Space Force. It's very well written, very witty. I love the costumes. I love the look. The, the time period is great. Everything is just spot on. Yeah. When you look at it. Um, it's obviously I know I know it's won like loads of awards, but even like the first season when you watched it, it's like it's like a labour of love, like everything's been done so well. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely you can just see the quality behind it and like everybody in it is just superb. Oh, absolutely. From Rachel Brosnan to Tony Shalhoub to Kevin Pollock. It is it's a quality, quality TV show. Apart from that, I've been reading a lot. Mm. But nope. What about it, you? it is sort of TV season as well, isn't it? It just seems to be a lot of TV shows coming out just at the moment. Which there is. Hey, what about you? What's been keeping you occupied? We've got three things to talk about. Um, the first of is a rewatch of 2019's The Souvenir. Now, this is by filmmaker Joanna Hogg, and it's a kind of semi-autobiographical memoir about some of her experiences during her time in film school in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And I'm not quite sure on what exactly is fact or fiction, but we have Julie, who is played by Honor Swinton Byrne, mm-hmm. who begins this relationship with the mysterious Anthony, played by Tom Burke. And the film basically depicts their tumultuous relationship as they become more involved with each other. And it's an interesting watch because it's a bit of a strange setup in the way that Honor Swinton Byrne, who is actually a non actor, mm-hmm. really, uh, she's a daughter of Tilda Swinton. Oh, cool. Tilda Swinton's got a daughter. Yeah, quite, a, quite an older daughter. Which is, Tilda Swinton, I don't know if they got married, but she ended up being with a, a Scottish playwright poet. Who is like she's eighty two now, so there must have been I, a big, big age difference when they do actually get together. I just feel like Tilda Swinton is like just this ageless person mm. 
who doesn't give birth. I don't know why that makes sense. You look at her and she just doesn't change. She's like immortal. <laughs> but yeah, so Tilda Swinton, who actually is in the movie and plays her mother in the movie, mm-hmm. um, has been childhood childhood friends with Joanna Hoggs, the director. But yeah, so you, Anna Swinton Byrne didn't have a script. Okay. When she shot this, she was only given Hogg's own personal diaries of the time the film took place. Mm-hmm. And she had to improvise all her scenes. Everybody else had scripts and, and had to go along with her reactions or the way the scenes are playing out. That's pretty cool. Um, And, yeah, because you get the sense that Julie is finding her place in the story and the story on a whole in real time, mm-hmm. just like Joanna would have in in real life, um, given that it is has that biographical lean into it. And it gives that organic feeling to the character as she tries to compute exactly what is happening. And there's a scene with Richard Ayoade where there's a bit of a reveal mm-hmm. and you can see Julie on a Swinton burn compute this information in real time okay. and understand where the story is going and what her character's been missing and what mm-hmm. the, it, it's really really interesting to see that on screen because mm-hmm. it's a it's a very noticeable shift in her behavior mm-hmm. especially within that scene um, and Richard Ayoade is only in for a scene but um, he is superb. It all, yeah, and it also looks incredible. It's shot on sixteen millimeter, and you get that lovely grain and softness of the image. The production design, costume, everything that has to do with the, the art direction is just spot on. It makes you feel like you're watching a film that was from the nineteen eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's pitch perfect on the, in that regard but yeah it's this insight into your first experiences with love the vulnerability that comes with that toxic toxic relationships and this is one of the most toxic relationships that i think i've i've seen on screen okay um not physically abusive but very slyly it's the breaking down of julie by anthony that is quite difficult to watch um, and it's it, it's in that it's like it's a film that I respect more than I can enjoy because it is sometimes awkward to watch because it's you are in a way your feelings are screaming towards the Julie character of saying like what are you doing yeah um see these signs and things like that um but you can't deny the film's quality and it will this will then very conveniently run into my next film which I watched this okay. week which is The Souvenir Part 2, mm-hmm. which was released last year in 2021. And this practically follows straight away from where the first film ends, and it deals with all the tragedy and things that comes from that first film. Mm-hmm. And this one blew my tiny little mind a bit. <laughs> okay. That doesn't happen very often. So we have Julie again. Uh-huh. Played by Honor Swinton Byrne, who is currently making her final thesis film mm-hmm. um, so that she can graduate from film school. And against what she was speaking about in the first instalment, about trying to make a, a film about the working class 
um, society in Sunderland. Mm-hmm. She decides to make a film about her relationship with Anthony, which is what happens in the first film. So is it like the first film? Like, is the first film meant to be her final film? Well. from For uni? Not quite. She's basically remaking the first film, but in the second film. So what you've got here is this meta world being created. You've got Joanna Hogg making a film about Julie, making a film about her relationship with Anthony, which is basically the events of the first film. So you've got the first film, which is a memoir in itself. Yeah. Then you've got the second film, which is A Julie. memoir of a memoir. Yeah. It, it, it's Julie analysing her decisions her motivations and whilst her actors are questioning her on her behavior in in her real life. So it's, it's really mind boggling to see just the different levels here Mm -hmm. because there's so many different moving parts and it's such an exhilarating watch. And as soon as you, you've grasped what she's trying to do in this, it just sparks something in my head. It's, it's basically a multi-layered therapy session. Okay. Because it's a reaction to a reaction to your initial reaction of your life. Yeah. And there are scenes, especially, where they're putting together scenes which we've seen in the first film, but mm-hmm. with actors, mm-hmm. where the actors are asking Julie, why? What's my, my, what is my motivation in this scene? And basically, within the first film... Anthony is is this charming upper class fellow. Mm-hmm. He's a bit of a bit of a douche, but you can still see maybe why Julie's with him. But he's an intravenous heroin user, right? Okay. He says he works for the Foreign Office, mm-hmm. but there's no real evidence of that. Mm-hmm. And it's her actors saying, "Well, I would have seen all this. How what? Well, how am I to react?" And then you've got Julie saying, but I didn't. Yeah. This is my life and I didn't spot this. And then it's like, also, why would you still be with them? And it's like, why? And you can see that Joanna Hogg probably would have had those questions whilst making the first film with her Mm -hmm. actors. Mm -hmm. And it is so raveled within itself Mm -hmm. that it is, it's so exhilarating to watch. And it's not exhilarating in, in an action sense. It's exhilarating in like a intellectual sense of, trying to really understand understand those those emotions and yeah it's it's a weird one because it retext like contextualizes the first one like i yeah. don't think i'd ever be able to watch just one of these now you'd have to watch them but then to me it's like you then be going around and around in a circle because mm-hmm. you can watch the first one and then you can watch the second one where they're making the film. And then you rewatch the first one and be like, I've just watched her film yeah. that she made in the second one. Yeah. And that makes yeah, my little head hurt. It's it's gonna be more of a four hour experience than two 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 separate two hour movies. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's haunting me a bit this. Because it's so smartly done and it's so engaging and, and thought provoking. Like watching a character who is using making a film about their life to be able to comprehend and understand and externally analyse her own decisions and motivations in her own life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's just brilliant and something that I didn't expect it to do. Mm-hmm. 
it, it could have took such an easy way out of just continued her story, but to bring it all around in that circular way is just brilliant. Um, I, I absolutely love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and next up is a 2022 film. Okay. It is Steven Soderbergh's Kimmy, starring Zoe Kravitz as a tech worker whose employer makes a product called Kimmy, and Kimmy is this fictionalised version of Alexa or Siri. Oh, yeah. So when listening to some recordings, trying to improve their voice recognition software, she unearths what she thinks is a woman being attacked. Mm-hmm. She contacts the company that she's worked for, but they're kind of reluctant reluctant to get involved because sort of the PR, PR backlash and things like that of things maybe always listening. Mm-hmm. And another thing is that Kravitz's character is also an agoraphobe. Right, okay. Um, so, yeah, it, it becomes this tight little thriller where she's trying to expose this crime and some people are trying to quash her and stop this audio coming out. Mm-hmm. And it's to say, like, this tech company is about to, I think, go public. Right, so therefore, okay. Like on the it, stock market. Yes, therefore, if it was, all this stuff was to go, it would have ruined the, the company's share price, etc. Mm-hmm. And it was also filmed in COVID times. However, rather nicely, it talks about COVID in passing, and it's there within the actions of the people who were involved. Mm-hmm. But it's not a film about COVID. No, it's just like... It's just there COVID. like it is in our lives. And I think I mentioned this before, but I like when Steven Soderbergh goes into genre because he doesn't try and overthink it. Films like Side Effects and Hair Wire, they're so self-contained and plot-driven that they're just nice little rides. And Kimmy is the same. It's got a great pace to it, um, but the plot is actually quite simple. But... What makes it a, a, a good movie, I think, is what it does with the, the the sound design and the visuals. Because, like Kravitz's character, called Angela, lives in this loft flat. Mm-hmm. But when she's in the flat and when she's on work calls or just doing stuff, you can constantly hear her neighbours above her, um, to the side. You can hear them sort of walking, just talking, moving around, moving furniture, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really approach it. It's just there in the background, and it kind of gets your anxiety up. Oh, okay. Because it's you start thinking, because it's always there while scenes are just going on, and it's not being talked about. And it's kind of, it makes me think about these people who were, lived in flats throughout those opening months of COVID when we were in a lockdown, mm-hmm. and just how that must have been their, their constant, lives. Constant back, backdrop. Constant backdrop background the the noise and they start you start thinking of just how suffocating that is and mm-hmm. how claustrophobic that is that you can't escape it and how it's nobody's doing it on purpose it's just them going along their normal lives but you make these noise and you understand how these flats can become like a, like an ant farm yeah yeah it doesn't there's, there's no space it's on top of each other and it is it's it Whilst watching it, all I could think about was I wanted I wanted to shout at people like just shut up. Mm-hmm. I'm trying I'm trying to think I'm trying to watch this movie, mm-hmm. but it was part of the movie. It was it was really well done. It's like <clears throat> when she does actually finally go outside, Soderbergh decides uh, to film it. I mean, it shoots digitally anyhow. But when when we watch movies 
generally, if, you, if you're watching a film and, and you're shooting someone, you've got that nice boker in the background, so you mm-hmm. see the person, but it's normally quite nice and silky, yeah. out-of-focus backgrounds. But when Cavity's out walking about, everything is sharp in focus. Oh, okay, to sort of like highlight her agar- agoraphobia. Yeah, and it, the way he shoots, he shoots with different sort of like Dutch angles and things like that where it, again, just heightens that anxiety and it makes you feel in the same... Cause Cinema, especially in the normal cinema language, like when you're shooting something, the director's telling you where your eye should be. Mm-hmm. And that's generally what's in focus. Whereas when you've got a screen that is constantly in focus, you're looking around. Yeah. Everything is taking your attention. Mm-hmm. And it is so, so well done. And yeah, it's it's short. It gets in, it gets out. I think it's 89 minutes, including credits. Right. And yeah, Kravitz is a star. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's brilliant in this. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing her in the Batman next week. Yeah, that should be good. And yeah, it's just this 21st century mix of rear window and blowout. And it works. It's slick. It's stylish. And it's just a good time. Good. And I think that's probably it for me. Yeah. Well, we watched a lot of stuff together, really. We did. We did. Um we might as well take a break. Yeah. And we'll come back with my choice, Hell or High Water. Fab. So far they ain't, but they will. And they're going to make it here. So just relax. Enjoy this little town. Do you want to live here? In an old hardware store that charges twice what Home Depot does. One restaurant with a rattlesnake for a waitress. And how is anybody supposed to make a living here? We've been biting living here for 150 years. Well, people lived in caves for 150,000 years, but they don't do it no more. Well, maybe your people did. Your people did, too. Long time ago, your ancestors was the Indians. Someone came along and killed them, broke them down, made you into one of them. 150 years ago, all this was my ancestors' land. Everything you could see, everything you saw yesterday, to the grandparents of these folks took it. And now it's been taken from them. Except it ain't no army doing it. It's those sons of bitches right there. So, Hell or High Water is a 2016 film directed by David McKenzie, but more importantly written by Taylor Sheridan. Um, And not to spoil anything from the get-go, it's a story of two brothers, Toby and Tanner, played by Chris Pine and Ben Foster, who are on a week-long bank robbery schedule. Yes. And then you've got Jeff Bridges as this hardened, old, near-retirement Texas Ranger who wants to catch them as his last last case. Mm -hmm. And... Looking through its ratings, I remember it. I mean, I remember it correctly as being well regarded when it came out. It's currently ninety-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes, of two hundred and eighty-six reviews. It's a seven point six on IMDb. It's a three point nine out of five on Letterbox. Mm-hmm. And Peter Travers, when writing for Rolling Stone, said that it well said that the exceptional performances lift the bar on a film that expertly mixes jolts of violence with social awareness and a sense of life lived on the edge. 
However, Peter Sobsinski on RogerEbert.com said that the film was frustrating because it contains so many good things that it just doesn't coalesce into a fully satisfying movie-going experience and that the story as a whole is a little too derivative for its own good and not even the strong elements are quite able to compensate for that. So I guess my question to you is, do you agree with Mr. Travers? or Mr. Subsinski, and on top of that, Mm -hmm. well, caveated really, does the fact that a gruff Chris Pine is attractive enough to even (laughs) turn the most ardent homophobe into somebody who would say, if he asked, I probably wouldn't say no. Do you think that actually has anything to do with if you care Chris Pine's character succeeds in his goal or not? Okay, so first off, um, I enjoyed the film, so I obviously like derivative films. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a very good film. I did not get both the brothers' names, only got Toby. Toby did, and Tanner. Did not get Tanner. Well, I, I think that's actually quite a... Cause they you don't be, you, really say each you other's Because you don't in no, real life. It's, I don't really say my sister's name that no. often, which sounds really bad. Yeah, yeah. still love her. I just don't say her name. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah like but i i really 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 enjoyed this film out of all the heist films that we've watched so far that you've picked mm-hmm. that would probably be my favorite oh, that's good um i thought it was fun it wasn't too long um as we all know of jordan he has a fondness for picking very long yeah complicated films this was not a massively long film no i think it's 106 uh, minutes yeah great that is good for like a weekday yeah it moved along quickly it was easy to um easy to follow but complicated enough to keep your um keep your interest and keep you thinking um and in regards to the chris pine question he's a beautiful man he's not really my type he's everybody's type he's not really my type he's not he's very very good looking he's very good looking man. Do you know what I think it is? I think he definitely looks better mm-hmm. in this film than in Wonder Woman. But I think that is possibly like the whole Henry Cavill effect. Yeah, yeah. Henry Cavill, gorgeous man. Superman, get away. No. <laughs> no. So, Geralt so- Rivia, yes. <laughs> um Chris Pine, for some reason, constantly looks like he needs a wash. Well, in this movie, he does. Yeah. Though, um, at some points, he's literally just got up and left the house. He hasn't done anything to have that much dirt on his face. <laughs> but there's some points where I'm like, "What have you done in between like these cutscenes? Have you just rolled in the dirt by the side of the road?" But really enjoyed the film. My second question would be: Do you think the film does enough? morally to make you as an audience member root for Chris Pine's character. Hun Amor is gonna root for the villain. We have discussed this. But I thing, like it, I like a morally grey villain. And that's it was And it, that is who Chris Pine's character is. He's doing something wrong, but he's still a nice guy about it. He's doing something wrong but for the right reasons. Yeah. Kind of in a way. And again it's is it the film's 
again, I'm, I'm answering my, my own questions here, but is it the film's responsibility to do that or not? Because I don't technically think it is, because no. it's okay for people to do bad things when they're motivated in a certain way. It's, yeah. We don't have to like them. It's just the decisions that they make within that that story. But I think it kind of shows it quite equally. Yeah. I think, like, you see Jeff Bridges' character in... They, they portray his uh, motivation in a very equal and unbiased way as you do with Chris Pine's mm. motivation. They're both trying to do what they see is best and to look after the people or the county or the state. I don't really understand how America works. Uh, that, that they love and that mm. they want they want to be able to do it correctly. I did write down that the opening for this film was shot so aggressively American yeah, yeah. that it could not physically be shot anywhere else. Yeah. You open, first two seconds, America. Yeah. And it is... There's parts of that that I really do enjoy as well. And I kind of like also that on the surface of this movie... It is a simple Western. Yeah. Because take out the cars, replace them with horses, take out the modern buildings and the banks, Mm -hmm. replace them with a 19th century settlement. You don't really need to change anything with the story. No. For it still to work. Even their names. I feel like Tanner. Yeah, yeah. It's a very cowboy name. Absolutely. For for me, although it's a heist film and it gets you with the heist and it's got the guns and it's got the robbery and it's got the, ooh, yeah. high stakes, uh, it's also a very big social commentary. It absolutely Like is. you see constantly as they're driving along the highways, there's constant signs for debt and for loans and uh, helping people getting out of debt and... Businesses that are doing closing down sales and broken down, everybody, like, broken down cars and old buildings that need love and repair to them. And then there's the the characters themselves sort of discuss it. And the whole reason they're doing this is because banks have basically bled everybody dry. And it's, again, it's it's one of the main reasons why I think the film works is because it is really swimming in this social, economic message of that these small time towns, although maybe backwards in some of their thinking, mm-hmm. political whatever aside, because we don't really get into that, they are in the modern world designed to fail at this point. Yeah. And, and again, what I kind of like about this film is that they're on this bank heist week when they're robbing banks, but it's not for millions and millions of dollars. It's for, I think it's 42K. Yeah. That they have to get to pay off the bank. Yeah. And it's small potatoes in the terms of other heist movies. Oh, God, yeah, massively small. But but again, it's like it's all relative into the size of what they need to continue their lives. Yeah, they've not been greedy with it. They just want to be able to pay. And I I liked his speech at the end where he's saying about how being poor is a hereditary disease. His grandparents had it, his parents, his grand, Mm. he had it, his parents have had it. He's, he's, his sons won't have it. Mm. He's been able to pay off the bank, keep the family ranch, and they found oil there so his kids can have a nice home, they can have a reliable car. They Spo- can have- spoilers for a 2016 film. <laughs> yeah, spoilers. 
Uh, I don't say spoilers anymore. You're going to get spoilers yeah. in a film podcast. You know. But, but that's, it, that's, yeah, that's, that's the reason of like. But it's not preachy with it. No, and that's, I like that. When we talk about like these morally ambiguous crimes of the fact that these banks have bled her mother, his mother, dry. When she was dying of cancer. When she was dying of cancer. And it's a decision of the banks that they're going to rob uh, is the bank chain that loaned them the money. Yeah. Which probably shouldn't do because they say they've bled her dry and they're sort of, all they've done is robbed what they were, not owed, but what 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 could keep them alive. Yeah. I love the fact as well that like their friend who's like the lawyer is like, oh, make sure that you get like the trust for your boys put with that bank because then they'll want to keep you and they won't. They don't even say at the end, they're like, they're worth now more to the bank than the money that they stole. Mm. So the bank's not going to be like, oh yeah, we've got to prosecute these guys because they're like, People say like 50 grand, 50 grand a month will be coming out there for however many years. Yeah, we we want their money. And yeah, I I, I do, I, I like that it's old fashioned and it's made for grown ups in that mm-hmm. yeah that it fully embraces that western style and when i before when i said it's more importantly written by taylor sheridan uh, and this is what i meant it's he has this sort of brand that uh, of films that he writes and that he makes now and that it's that modern style western aesthetic you got Wind River, which is a great movie. You've got Those Who Wish Me Dead, which mm-hmm. came out last year. Um, you've got two TV shows, currently three TV shows currently on the air. Okay. It's got Yellowstone with Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. um, 1883, which is a prequel to Yellowstone, mm-hmm. and Mirror of Kingstown, which has got Jeremy Renner in it. And yeah, they, like especially Yellowstone in 1883, these are massive shows in the States. Mm-hmm. They haven't quite penetrated over, uh, over the pond yet, but... Um, I'm very appreciative that his voice kind of exists. He's that low budget to mid budget storyteller mm-hmm. um, that was an actor and then just started writing movies. Well, he was actually in Sons of Anarchy. When we saw Sons of Anarchy. Oh, he, I think you. I think you were like he's gone off and he's now making his own thing now. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he was the sheriff's deputy. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, and it's going back to the movie and sort of what I really do love about it is that. I love the open plains. It's what you mentioned before. The open plains of the states. Mm-hmm. There's just something so dramatic and arresting as a single road stretching out mm-hmm. um, and empty fields as far as the eye can see. It's it's so cinematic that, and the isolation that you feel from that, and you can understand how these actually could get away with this in this landscape because. Just when you're seeing them drive, it's there's nowhere, there's it's so disconnected it from is. everything, it is, yeah, completely. But yeah, and yeah, and mix that locale with a well constructed plot. And I mean, I did, and I do think it's actually that the plot is well done, mm-hmm. how they deal with the unveiling of the reasoning behind the robberies and how they manage to keep the money that they steal untraced. Yeah, which is very clever. And yeah, and again, add the three central performances to mm-hmm. that lovely sort of smorgasbord, melting pot, whatever you want to say. You've got Chris Pine, Ben Foster, and Jeff Bridges, and all of them are superb. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ben Foster is such an intense 
excited. He, he, he's one of those actors that has the the crazy button, and if you press it, he genuinely feels like he just go off the rails. Oh, definitely. He definitely feels like he would go full method actor. Oh, hundred percent. Doesn't he? Absolutely, hundred percent. And then like, you've got Jeff Bridges, who's this charming old man. Mm, charming. Mm. I think charming because he's um, he's one twos with Gil Birmingham, who plays Alfredo in this movie, mm-hmm. and he's constant teasing over his Native American heritage. I think it's it's light enough that it doesn't become an issue. That you don't lose your there affection are some for certain that. looks that the, Alfredo sort of gives him, and it's just like. But I think you still really tell dude. he loves him. I still think he loves him. He's casually racist throughout the entirety you, of this film. It's one of those where it's uh, I mean, it might be oxymoronic in a way, but he's he's kind of a charming racist. <laughs> he does it. It's it, a charming. Racist. He does it with a shroud of love. Ugh. You're going to get cancelled. I am going to get cancelled, I know. But that is, for me, I can you can tell he doesn't mean it. And it, it's it's just... Yeah, I think it's more, it's, it's the fact that it, it... I don't, yeah, I don't think he means it. I think it's very much to show that he is of a time. Mm. And um, also to show how stuck in that before time some of these little towns... Oh yeah, ah. but I also like the fact that the Gil Birmingham character is there, that Alfredo is there, because it just shows you. I liked the, him. The, I the, was really the, good. The, the historical sort of diversity of of that land. I mean, it, it's set in Texas, but it wasn't shot in Texas. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it is, and especially I, I like those kind of supporting characters. And when again, we're going to spoil a five year old movie, six year old movie, but when Alfredo gets shot. Oh, my God. I literally was like, no. The little cry that Jeff Bridges lets out, it's and it it works. It's such an effective moment because it's not built up. No, it just happens. It just happens and it's like, bang, done. And you did, you gasped. Yeah. You let out an audible gasp. You don't don't expect it and it's just so... And Um, that's when I think you you do feel the emotion between that brotherly love between them because... Especially even when Jeff Bridges finally gets Tanner and, she, and kids, and it, the breakdown after it, because oh. he's laughing but also crying. It's like he doesn't know which emotion is actually more powerful and what's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's just a, it's the classiness of Jeff Bridges and just that old man who's perfected his craft over the years. Yeah, and he, he can just let himself go, mm-hmm. and it's oh, it's so brilliantly done. It's it's. One of those films that, as I spoke about, there it was rated when it came out. Mm-hmm. However, I still feel like it's a bit underrated because mm-hmm. it isn't massively talked about. I think it should be. I think it's one of those like really worthwhile modern movies. Yeah, it is so well written, acted, directed that it just these are the movies that will carry on going until. The, the form goes out. Superhero films will come and go. Yeah. Big sci-fi epics will come and go. Low-key, character-driven, nice, tightly plotted films will always succeed uh, if, if, if you're doing well. Well, this is the one that you picked that I really enjoyed. Good. 
And the final scene, the when you said when um, Chris Pine does give that monologue about poverty and mm-hmm. um, being poor, but it's just the, the talking about the subject without talking about the subject. It, it does have that really brooding, bubbling tension that I yeah, really leaves quite it like. Open. And it leaves it open of like those the next day those two people could kill them, kill each other. Yeah. Just brilliant. But yeah, I think that's it. I mean, it's a quick one. It is a quicker one. But next week's going to be epic. It is. It is. So we are in our final week next week of our heist season. <laughs> it's my choice. And it's your choice. So <laughs> what have you chosen for this final episode? So I am very proud of my choice. Yeah, I think it's his controversial choice. <laughs> but it's a film that Jordan has not watched. No. Which is so incredibly difficult to find. So I'm very, very pleased. This heist film follows a group of people stealing a treasure and then finding a more priceless treasure and trying main character trying to keep it away from the other people who do the heist. And what is that? Tangled. <laughs> it is a heist film. I haven't seen it, but what I've, I've been explained, it does sound like there's a heist in it. So therefore there is a heist it in it, and the heist carries on throughout the film. There we are. There is just a bit of Disney magic in there as well. And I don't mind a bit of Disney magic, so I'm actually quite looking forward to this, because it is, again, it's... It spoke about fondly from anybody that you actually. I don't know anybody it. who doesn't like Tangled. Mm. Don't know anybody. You will lo- fall in love with Pascal. Everybody loves Pascal. Brilliant. And Flynn Rider is the most relatable Disney prince ever. <laughs> ever. He thinks everybody bursts into song is insane. Brilliant. Well, so I'm I think you're going to like it. it. I'm looking forward to it. And I think that's mostly it for this week. That is it for this week. So I'm glad you liked Hella High Water. I did. I will be recommending it. The fact it. that Chris Pine isn't your type is ridiculous to me. Listen, I can appreciate a good-looking man. He's, but he's not he, my type. He, he's, I think he elevates good-looking to a different level. He, he has beautiful eyes that I always think look very, very fake. Maybe that's it. <laughs> His eyes. eyes are just too blue and he's too tanned because he's always quite tech he's always filming somewhere yeah. hot maybe that's it he's too tanned and got two blue eyes there you go he's too ruggedly handsome for me <laughs> he's too handsome he's too handsome <laughs> oh well that is it for another episode of his film her movie we'll be back next week with tangled and yes. that is goodbye from me and goodbye from me